the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Get him into the Word of God, because without that, the Spirit of God does not have the, the truth of the Word of God to apply to your life. When you let God's Word in, the Holy Spirit takes that Word and uses it to shape, watch this, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shape our desires and empower us, empowers us to carry those desires out. From time to time, I hear people say they are seeking God's will in a decision. When I hear what they are considering, it's clear that they have not spent enough time in the Bible because that is where they will find His will spelled out in black and white. It's not always that clear-cut, but God's Word is the tool the Holy Spirit uses to guide us and to bring us to spiritual maturity. But while we may want to read our Bibles, we may feel a strange resistance. Satan and our sin nature don't want us reading our Bibles. It often feels like hard work. That's where discipline comes in. We do something we might not like, at least at the start, in order to achieve a goal. One goal we all need to work toward is unity among believers. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us through the second chapter of Philippians, one verse at a time. The Philippians were having some problems with unity, at least a few of them were. In this chapter, Paul gave them some great principles to help them unite. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are a production of Verse by Verse Ministries. Our main text as we continue this three-part message is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If you're following along in your Bible, keep a marker there. While we take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, let's think about the relationship between spiritual discipline and church unity. Hebrews chapter 12. I read from this in the pastoral prayer, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Is God going to run the race for us? No. God's not going to. He said, you do it. You strip down is what he's saying. You take off all the extra baggage. I understand that. The first race that I ran as an adult a few months ago, it was raining, and so I kept on a sweatshirt and sweatpants and carried about 15 pounds of extra baggage. I understand why the writer said this. But God is not going to do it. We run the race. But I guess the best passage that brings us out is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is just insight into how to be obedient, living the Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It takes discipline, and I find that this is a generation that knows very little about discipline. 
We're not disciplined in what we uh, read. We're not disciplined in what we watch on television. We're not disciplined in what we eat. We're not disciplined in exercise. When you carry that over into the spiritual realm, we're just not disciplined. If it feels good, we do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Now, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. That is effort, struggle, strive. And everyone who, complete, who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, discipline. If you're going to run in the race, you have to discipline, you have to train for it. Paul is saying the Christian life is just like that. It's a discipline. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I mean, runners just run in the Olympics to get a gold medal or a wreath or a little prize at the end. So what? But we run, he says, to get an an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. When you run, you run towards the finish line. At least I do. may take me a while to get there, but I try. He says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. Paul says, I'm not a shadow boxer. I don't just just box at the air. And notice what he says in verse 27, but I buffet my body. I make it my slave. You know what he means? I give myself a black eye. If discipline means punching myself, I do that. I get violent with with myself. I have effort. Lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says, I don't want to be put on a shelf. I don't want to be a spiritual dropout because of a lack of discipline in my, in my life. Now, does that sound like a, uh, a passive view of the Christian life? No, it doesn't, because it's not. There's aggressiveness to, that, that we need to use to work out our salvation. And, and notice, back to Philippians 2, this must be done with the right attitude. He, he says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. It, it simply means with awe and a sense of responsibility. That is to say, a holy fear and trembling because we realize our own weakness in God's holiness and we have to have a deep passion to please Christ by obeying God. It's with passion. Be aggressive with passion. Not because you are, uh, you are trembling in the corner because you're afraid of God, but no, uh, the word is used in 2 Corinthians 7.15 of Titus coming to the Corinthians and it says they received him with fear and trembling because they loved Titus so much they couldn't please him enough. That's the thought. Work out your salvation. So Paul pleads for obedience and that's the principle. The principle of obedience is it takes effort. If you're not willing to exert some effort, you will not be obedient. That's why you can't look at unity and say, well, it'll all work out. It won't work out if you don't work it out. Work out your salvation. Now, you know what the first thought, if if you have been thinking about, uh, well, how could you have all this effort and and I think we do have to surrender. You You know what's going through your mind? Isn't all this aggressiveness of the flesh... Doesn't the Christian life uh, also depend on God to do the work? Does it really depend just on me? Can't you do these things in the flesh? Well, we need to see another truth about obedience. And that is not just the principle of obedience, which is effort. The power for obedience is God's enablement. Notice verse 13, and this balances it out. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and and to work for his good pleasure. You see, verse 12 is the human side of obedience. Verse 13 is the divine side. It is God's enablement. What this verse teaches is that when you became a Christian, God began to work within you, and he produces both the desire and power to obey. Isn't that great? God is at work within you. You see, the Christian life is one of effort, but it is not self-effort. 
It is not sinful, uh, self-fleshly effort. You aren't alone in this deal. From your standpoint, you are to work. You are to work hard. And, and I wouldn't even be concerned. Is this the flesh? Is this? I, I, I don't know. I can't discern that. Just work to please the Lord. However, what verse 13 is saying is understand it is God who is at work in you both to give you spiritual desires to live a righteous life. Why do you have a desire to live a righteous life? You didn't produce that in yourself. That is the Spirit of God and the divine nature within you. The Bible says that initially we were born into this world, we hated God, hated every single one here. Some were more openly hostile, some were were less openly hostile. But Paul says in Romans 8 9, we were born with hostility towards God. Some cursed him out loud, some just ignored him but hostility nonetheless. When, the, when you came to know Christ, God gave you a new nature. You had a new attitude towards the Lord. You became a lover of God, and you began to have spiritual desires. That's why the, the mark of being a believer is that you desire to do what's right. If someone comes to me and says, I don't know if I'm saved, first thing I ask, I, I, I never ask, well, when did you pray to receive Christ? I never ask that because the Bible never asks that when. There was a time and place, but that's not the evidence that you're a believer. The evidence is that you have a desire to obey, and you have a desire to obey. And if someone says to me, um, well, I, I do have a desire, then they are believers if they realize, and I, I'm just taking at face value what they say. But if they say, no, I don't really desire, no. In fact, I've never desired, then you're not a believer. If they say, well, I once desired, but now I don't, I say, well, you're a believer without assurance. Salvation is a gift of God, but assurance is not. Uh, assurance is a gift, yes, that comes after I work. Assurance comes from God when I'm obedient. When I can see some tangible evidence in my life of obedience, then I say, I know that I'm a believer. Without that, you can't. So God is at work to give us a desire to obey, and not only that, he gives us the power to obey. He works in us to give us desire and power, but then whose responsibility is it to work it out? Yours. God will give you that enablement, but it's your responsibility to aggressively obey. In other words, you work it out, but it's God who is at work within you, enabling you to bring out godly character. Do you see the balance? You can't go to one extreme or another. If it's all of you and you sin, then you're going to be in despair. If it's none of you and God is just at work with me, I'm just an open vessel, I do nothing, then when you sin, ultimately, if you're going to really think this thing through, that has to be God's fault not yours. No, we can't do that. So there is a balance here. And I think it's a tremendous encouragement to know that God is at work in us. Isn't that great to know? You know, we wonder where is God sometimes? He's right here. He's at work in us. He's at work in us. That's a great encouragement. And and when did this begin and how long is it going to go on? Well, look at chapter one of Philippians verse six. For I am confident to this very thing that he who began a good work It's not even just a work. It's a good work, and you will perfect it or mature it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is an endless process until you go to be with the Lord, and then the process really stops because you are perfect, perfected in God's sight and in your own sight. How is God at work in us? It's not a nebulous thing. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3. Just turn one book back from Philippians, Ephesians chapter 3. How is God at work in you? two ways. And if you struggle with obedience, you need to particularly pay attention to this. I mean, if you struggle to the point where you seem to be always defeated, all of us struggle, and we don't have to have milk poured on our heads to know that. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. God strengthens us with power through in the inner man by his spirit. Verse 20 says the same thing of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And what is that power? It is the Holy Spirit. The moment you trusted Christ, the moment you said, I'm a sinner, there's no way that I can get to heaven by my own good works because I'm not good. And my little lies and my little things here and there and my this and that is not good and it's not overlooked by God. The moment that you realize that you were a sinner... And you say, and you realize that Jesus Christ died for your sin, and you trusted that death for you. The Bible says that the Spirit of God entered into you, and God began a work in you. There is even more at work in you if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. We will get to that in just a moment. Let's pause briefly to greet those who just tuned in. We're glad to have you with us for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher. We're finding some great principles in Philippians chapter 2 that will help us to live in harmony with other believers in our churches. Now let's return to class for the conclusion of Pastor Steve's message that is titled, The Obedience of Unity. But that's not it alone. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. There is something else at work in you. And the Spirit works in connection with this something else that is in you. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And this is the key. I'm going to tell you the key to obedience. And for this reason, Paul says, as he's writing to the Thessalonians, we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. As you receive God's word and apply it to your life, it will strengthen you to obey the Lord. Now, now keep that in mind. Listen, if you haven't been obedient lately, if it is a struggle that you just can't seem to get a handle on anything, if you're constantly defeated, you know what it's due to a lack of personal Bible study. That's right. You cannot exist as a Christian and have any kind of victory over sin in your life without personal Bible study. The first thing that I do when I disciple somebody is get them into the Word in some way, shape, or form. Either give them a little booklet of Bible study or give them some books or, or teach them how to get in and hold them accountable You and we're going to go over this. and Get them into the Word of God because without that, the Spirit of God does not have the, the truth of the Word of God to apply to your life. When you let God's word in, the Holy Spirit takes that word and uses it to shape, watch this, the Spirit of God uses the word of God to shape our desires and empower us, empowers us to carry those desires out. Now, that is brilliant. Not because I said it, I want you to know, I mean, it's brilliant because that's what the word of God teaches. When you let the word of God dwell in you richly, the Spirit of God then takes the word and he actually uses it to shape your desires to direct those desires to be righteous and empower you to carry out those righteous desires. That's why you need the Word of God. And if you're a backslidden Christian, it's because you're not in the Word. But here it gets back to discipline. You've got to discipline yourself to get in the Word. God's not going to get the Word in you without you being aggressive, without you working out your salvation. 
This is how we work out our salvation. This is how God accomplishes what pleases him. Look at the end of verse 13 of Philippians 2. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, uh, both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. This is how God accomplishes his good pleasure. You be aggressive. You work out what he's put in. But he's the one who gives you the desire to do that as you take in the word of God. And what is it that pleases God? What is it that causes God pleasure? Well, a lot of things. But in this context, may I suggest verses 3 and 4? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. When you fail to take in the word of God, you are going to be consumed with yourself. When you fail to take in God's word and the spirit of God does not have that word richly dwelling in you, you know what you're going to think about? Your petty self-interests. You see, the key to, to humility of mind, the key to obedience is that you take in the word of God. Then you have the power to do what's right. point of these verses is to tell us that we, can't, that we can live in harmony. We can live as Christ lived. If we're willing to be obedient, how do you get willing? You take in the word of God. Can't take in the word of God unless I'm disciplined to do that. It's discipline. Well, how do you get discipline? You work at it. You work at it. You know, there are some things in my life that I, that I do, not even, not even spiritual things, that I do just to try to teach myself discipline. There are certain things that, that we do just to train ourselves in discipline because we are an undisciplined people. You do that in, in the secular realm and in little things like put away your clothing. I know Michelle is sitting right here, and I'm not saying that I do it as much as I should, but I'm getting better at it. Things like that, things that you don't want to do. You do that enough and it'll carry over in the spiritual realm. So we can live in harmony with one another if we're willing to obey. And we don't simply have a perfect example in Christ. We have the power to live humbly as he lived, to take an interest in others as he took an interest in others. And we need to make every effort to do it. Work out your salvation because God's at work in you. Let's bow for prayer. Where you are on your obedience where you are in your own life is between you and the Lord. But it affects all of us. It affects all of us. If you're really struggling to obey, if obedience is such a chore in your life and you, you're constantly defeated, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Otherwise, you're just, you're going to be in a constant losing battle. God's Word is what elevates us from self-centeredness. Because then I begin to be interested in him and his thoughts and, he, and what pleases him and not what pleases myself. Oh, do we need deliverance from, from being self-centered, consumed with, with our own interests to constant struggle. That's why you have to constantly take in the word of God regular basis. Where are you in your own personal devotions? Do you spend time in the word? Do, we, do you know how to study the Bible? Have you been sitting in church for years and have never quite grasped how to do it for yourself? This is, this is the way to, to a victorious Christian life. And do you have that passive view? If you do, it's not biblical. It's unbalanced. We understand the need to be surrendered. We understand the need 
to yield ourselves to the Lord. But just to do that and then to say God is going to do all these other things, that's not the case. Got to be aggressive. You've got to you've got to put effort into it because the commands are to us. Some of you may need to think through this, but are you committed to obedience? Are you committed to letting the word dwell in you, God shaping those desires? I trust so. Are you committed to being disciplined, aggressive, working out your salvation? You've got all the potential in you. You've got Christ in you. Can you work out your salvation? Starting today, discipline. Do what you don't even feel like doing, but because it's right to do it. And if you don't know Christ, you're missing out on all that salvation involves. You can't work out a salvation that's not within. How do you get this salvation within you? You recognize that you are a sinner. It's not saying that you've robbed a bank. It's not saying that you've murdered somebody. It's simply saying that you're rebellious towards God. You've lived your life as you're the, own, the only one that really counts, that you're your own boss. You're the captain of your ship, and he has no place in your life. That's what being a sinner is. You recognize that he loves you in spite of your sin, and he, and he sent his own son to die for you. It's the concept of a substitute. He paid the penalty for you. And if you just come to him trusting that he died for you, he gives you not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life, and he comes to live in you. He changes you from the inside out. If you're disgusted with yourself, then understand Christ wants to change you. Father, I pray for those who may not know the Savior here this morning, that they'll understand the need to trust Christ and that they'll seek someone out, either someone who's at the frontier after the service or myself, and let us know that they want to trust the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for him. What a wonderful person he is. Thank you for teaching us that we can obey. And we're certainly not God, and we're certainly not perfect, but the Bible never excuses disobedience. And so I pray, Father, for each one of us that you'll help us to understand the principle of obedience is effort, and that we wouldn't be passive, that we would obey the commands of your word, and not even concern ourselves whether it's the flesh or the spirit, but just obey, because we want to have a passion to, oh, oh, to do what you say, and not because anybody's around us. And Father, I pray that you'll remind us and encourage us that you're at work in us, both to desire these things, to give us the will to do it, which we don't have of our own accord, and also the power to carry out those desires. I pray that you'll help, Lord, us to be as a church, not only in the Word on Sundays, but each of us to take in the Word of God the other days of the week and let the Word of God shape our thoughts so that the Spirit of God can give us the power and the desire. So, Father, take these truths and apply it to our own unique situations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. A mission organization I know of has a branch whose role is to provide lay people with opportunities to assist their missionaries through work projects and witnessing campaigns. To be a member of the organization requires no specific financial obligation. They don't charge dues, but they do ask each member to be willing to go anywhere God asks, do anything He asks, and to give anything He asks. We should all be willing to do that, don't you think? Thank you for listening today. 
We hope you will join us for the next verse-by-verse as Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff continues his series of practical lessons on church unity. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving in that capacity since 1981. His messages make the transition from pulpit to radio through the work of verse-by-verse ministries. We are a faith ministry grateful for the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. If you would like to hear today's class again, please stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download today's class or any of the previous classes that you would like to hear. That's versebyverseradio.org. The entire message from which today's class was taken is available on audio CD. If you would like to order one, please call us at 727 727- Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. One of my favorite cartoons growing up was Bugs Bunny. He always seemed to come out on top, but it was never easy for him. When things were going really badly, he would sometimes say in that goofy accent of his, I should have stood in bed. We all have days like that when it just doesn't seem to pay to get out of bed. If we have too many of those days, we might grow self-centered. Join us for the next verse by verse to learn about how you can contribute to unity in your church and also ways that we can avoid feeling sorry for ourselves as we go through the inevitable tough times. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.